You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, All of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. History, as they say, is written by the victors, which is a little ironic when you consider that this phrase, often attributed to Winston Churchill, is actually of uncertain origin. So much of the past has been lost, and the historical records we do have can be extremely biased. Take the story of Nathaniel Russell, for example. Born in Rhode Island in 1738, Nathaniel moved to Charleston, South Carolina in his late 20s. He began a career as a merchant, trading rice, tobacco, cotton, and human beings. Nathaniel made a fortune participating in the African slave trade. In 1788, when he was 50 years old, Nathaniel married a woman named Sarah Hopton. Sarah was the daughter of a wealthy Charleston family, so the Union secured his social and economic position in colonial America. He later paid for the construction of a lavish mansion in South Carolina, where his family and the humans that he enslaved lived. These days, the Nathaniel Russell House is considered one of the most important examples of neoclassical architecture in America. It's since been restored, but remains decorated in antebellum fashion. Think floor-to-ceiling windows, a giant spiral staircase, and oil paintings hung on every wall. The home gives the impression of luxury and esteem, two things that Nathaniel and his family certainly enjoyed. But, like I mentioned, the Russells weren't the only ones who lived inside this Charleston mansion. For over two centuries, the stories of the people they enslaved were lost. But then, in 2017, representatives from the historic Charleston Foundation decided to restore the kitchen house. Now, the kitchen house was a separate building on the property. It's where enslaved people would have worked and lived. Unlike the rest of the mansion, though, this part had never been fixed up, which meant that there were parts that had never been explored. When conservation experts cut into the walls, they found a whole lot of dust. Beneath that, there was hair, buttons, marbles, part of a waistcoat, fragments of a newspaper from November of 1833, and lots of rodent droppings. It was a 19th century rat's nest preserved inside the walls for roughly 200 years. Now, if the thought makes your stomach turn, I don't blame you. But here's the thing. Rats are actually furry little historians, and their archives are entirely unbiased. You see, in order to build their nests, rats gather a bunch of random stuff from their environment. They inadvertently create a snapshot of a specific time and place simply by collecting the items that happen to be there. There is an entire area of study devoted to this phenomenon. It's called rat nest archaeology. And the practice has revealed interesting items all over the American South. For example, at Poplar Forest, Thomas Jefferson's Virginia retreat, rats filled the walls with newspapers, 18th century board game pieces, and even an entire shoe. At the Bray School in Williamsburg, Virginia, 
rats pilfered a mechanical pencil from the 1830s, one of the earliest models manufactured in the United States. And it goes back even further than that. Rats can also help us understand ancient history. In Central Oregon's Paisley Caves, 7,000-year-old rodents' nests were found to contain man-made items. This suggests that some of the earliest humans in the region lived in those caves too. But I want to go back to the Nathaniel Russell house. Of all the stuff rodents hid in the walls of the kitchen house, one thing stuck out to me the most. Scraps torn out of an early writing textbook. Remember, this was inside a building where only enslaved people lived and worked, and this was an era when the vast majority of enslaved people were forced to remain illiterate. Based on the paper scraps, archaeologists think that those who lived inside the kitchen house were teaching themselves to read and write. In a world that said that they were less than human, they were working to gain a small bit of power, the ability to tell their own stories, to record their own history. And we know this because, as it turns out, history is not written by the victors. It's collected by rats. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. When she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier, and these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head-on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. For most of us, learning to ride a bicycle was a rite of passage, one that involved more than a few scraped elbows and knees. Learning how to balance, pedal, and brake can be tough, but beyond the actual mechanics of riding a bike, there's a deeper lesson that all kids need to learn. When you fall, you have to get back up and try again. 
Thankfully, our modern pedal-powered machines have a relatively low risk of injury. In fact, when they were first developed, they were advertised as safety bicycles, and that's because their predecessors were remarkably dangerous. The first two-wheeled bicycle was invented in Germany in 1817. Its official name was the Laufmaschine, or running machine in English, but everybody just called it the bone shaker. It looks similar to bicycles of today, except it was made almost entirely out of wood and it didn't have any pedals. The idea was that you could sit down, kick the ground to get some momentum, then the wheels would propel you forward. It was kind of like the car from the Flintstones. But it wasn't exactly an off-road vehicle. Since it was wooden, the tiniest pebble or crack in the pavement would send shutters through the whole machine, hence the nickname the Bone Shaker. This is how the American Cyclopedia described it. Quote, the defects of the running machine, its rigidity, and its strain on the rider in propelling it by muscular thrust, besides rendering it impractical for general road travel and subjecting the rider to severe jolting, were frequent cause of abdominal hernia. Yeah, clearly the design needed some improvements. So an English inventor named James Starley, better known as the father of the bicycle industry, answered the call. In the 1870s, he updated the running machine in a number of ways. Instead of wood, his new design was made with hollow metal frame and rubber tires. He also added pedals. All in all, it seemed like the bicycle was moving in a good direction, right? Well, there's one more thing that you should know. James Starley's bike was built for speed, which is why its front wheel measured over 5 feet tall and its back wheel was a meager 14 inches in diameter. Oh, and it didn't have any brakes. This weird bike was called a penny farthing. It was named after two British coins which were vastly different in size, just like the two wheels. Getting on and off was a challenge, and the lack of brakes meant that crashes were very common. But still, the machine's speed was a big draw. By the early 1900s, people flocked to London to watch and join penny farthing races. These events were exciting too, if only because the spectacle was so strange and the risk of disaster so high. Bikes could travel over 15 miles an hour. Because the front wheel was so tall, riders often sat 5 to 7 feet up in the air. If two penny farthings collided, the drivers would be pitched out of their seats, and way back then, nobody was wearing helmets. Penny farthings fell out of fashion in the 1920s, when the safety bicycle hit the stores. But curiously, the Victorian-era vehicle has experienced a modern resurgence, competitive races became common again in the 1980s, although helmets are now required. Perhaps the most well-known dash takes place in the English village of Knotsford. Every 10 years, the streets are blocked off to make room for the Great Race, a penny-farthing sprint for the benefits of charity. The last Great Race was held in October of this year. Melissa Eidzel, the current European female penny-farthing racing champion, was there. She describes riding the asymmetrical bike as, and I quote, a combination of flying a helicopter and riding a mechanical horse. It's avant-garde, it's risky, one jerk can mean the bike flips and that's you hurtling through the air. And with that, I think it's fair to say that the penny farthing puts a different spin on the age-old wisdom. If you fall from seven feet high, get back up, brush yourself off, and consider getting a bike that actually has brakes. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, 
in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.